Hi everyone, this is Serene. I am, as you may have heard, Chelsea's certified best friend of the internet. Uh, I am here today to switch spots with her and I have been given the honor to interview Chelsea. Hi Chelsea. Hey, oh my God, it's so weird saying hey to my own show, but how are you? <laughs> I'm good. So I'm excited to just kind of dive right in, make the best use of our time. And so really, you can emphasize on this or explain further, but we're here to kind of peel back the layers on Chelsea and get to know you better. I can't wait. I haven't done an episode like this since I think 2017 or 2018. And my friend and I drank red wine and got drunk while she was interviewing me. And this was before I had a business, before I even thought of having a business, when I lived in Chicago, still worked in my corporate job. So this is like a very very belated needed update yeah i think people are going to be really excited to get to know you in kind of some different ways so excited. with that admittedly i will say i am very late to the podcast game i was like a late adapter if you will very against podcasts because i was just convinced they were going to be like radio tv or like radio talk shows which i hated However, I vividly remember the first podcast I listened to because it hooked me. And from then on, I was like, okay, I'm in the podcast game. I get it. I'm going to start listening to them. So I'm really curious, what was the first podcast that you listened to and when was it? I believe it was Serial in 2016. I had heard rumblings of podcasts and I remember my friends saying like, you have to listen to this case. It's so crazy. This journalist is following this whole entire case. They're interviewing the guy that they think is a suspect. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I don't understand how this is all happening. And then I remember I downloaded it and I binged it. I was obsessed. I'm still obsessed. I follow the Adnan trial. He's free, by the way, now. I don't know if anyone saw that. Um, right. So yeah, I remember that very vividly. And I specifically remember it because of how much storytelling was done in it and how mm -hmm. it, like you said, it was actually not a radio talk show. It was like mm -hmm. a true crime series in your ears. And that was just so fascinating to me. Yeah. Same. The first one I listened to was also storytelling. Um, it was IO Till It Writes podcast. Um, oh my gosh, what is the name of it now? That's so terrible. I can't even think of it. But it was also kind of like a true crime storytelling podcast. And so I was like, oh, this is intriguing. And so that's, yeah, definitely what got me. So I guess we can kind of jump in with storytelling. What is like, why do you love storytelling? What kind of brought you to that? I feel like stories are just the way we connect with people. And whenever we zoom out of like, why are we here on planet Earth? it's to connect with people. I think it's still so fascinating that human species are the only species that have emotions and feelings and like conscious thoughts and can actually communicate with words and body language and verbal cues. And all, we have all these gifts and stories are like the way to deliver those gifts. So I just remember from a young age being captivated by storytellers. Speaking of talk shows, I remember loving watching talk shows with my mom. Like I, I loved Oprah. I loved the trashy ones like Jerry Springer and Mari. And my mom's like, you can't watch that. Um, so I was like, I love all these shows. Like I just found it so cool how they got to talk to people and you got to hear the humanness of that person. And so right. for me, storytelling was just always a really fun way to, to not only bring imagination to life too, but connect with people. And um, yeah, I remember this just popped into my mind. Have you heard yeah. of the FCAT? It's it's a standardized test in Florida. No. 
<laughs> yeah, it's called the FCAT. And you have to do, you know, writing, reading, math, English, etc. And I think in third grade, we got the writing prompt and you practice all year. Like you have to practice these essays all year long. And you're supposed to be able to quickly decipher if it's fiction or nonfiction. And then you write an essay according to the prompt. I, for some reason, could not figure out if mine was fiction or nonfiction. So I made it a little bit of both. Like I made it nonfiction, <laughs> but like very imaginative. And I got a perfect score on the writing <laughs> test. And I, I hadn't, I literally was like, I'm going to fail this thing. Like, I have no idea what I'm writing about. And they're like, you were so descriptive. Your words were like captivating. And I'm like, that's because I wrote it with both categories in mind. And I remember that that just stuck with me so vividly because I was like, wow, you actually can tell real stories with that right. much imagination and, and detail and really captivate people. And that's, I think that's just like a power. I think it's a gift. That totally is. Yeah, absolutely. And so speaking of that, just to kind of go back even further, like where, just give people a little bit of color. Where are you from? What's your family life like? Like where, what's your little origin story, if you will? Oh my gosh, I'm from a small, tiny town called Satellite Beach, Florida. And if you can guess by the name, it's in the Space Coast of Florida where all the rockets take off. So fun oh, wow. fact, yeah, my <laughs> my area code of my home phone number and my cell phone is 321 because of the rockets, like 321 blast off. <laughs> That's funny. That's a fun fact. I know. I was like, it's actually really cool. It like puts us on the map. So yeah, our area code's 321 and everything around it has these like spacey names, like you can see Satellite Beach. Right. And um, it's just a really small beach town. A lot of people go there to retire, to live a very peaceful life. It's a really safe place to raise kids and, you know, just bring up a family. My dad grew up there. We went to the same elementary school and high school. And oh, wow. yeah, my siblings, we went to like very similar schools too. I have, I'm the oldest of four. And so, yeah, we just all grew up there. And then my mom is Puerto Rican. So I grew up, speaking of storytelling, with her <laughs> being a very animated person. I think people know, um, you know, many people in the Latin culture have a gift for storytelling and really being animated right. and exciting and just enthusiastic about what they're talking about. So I would watch and hear my mom on phone calls calling our family back in Puerto Rico, just so animated and lively and lit up. And so I learned a lot of that. My dad was also a software consultant who had to fly to different projects all over the country. So he actually wasn't as home as much as I thought he would be when I was younger because he was just always on these projects. So it was always my mom was the main figure in the household. So everything I learned about storytelling and connecting with people and all that stuff was from her. So yeah, I grew up there. Um, I went there. I was there. Actually, no, that's a lie. I was not there for all of kindergarten to senior year. My dad got a project in Utah and he oh. was like, I don't, yeah, he's like, I don't want to fly across the country every single week. I think we just need to move the family there for a year while this project is happening. I was like, absolutely not. I'm not moving. <laughs> like, what the hell? I think I went to three different elementary schools. One was a normal public school. The second one right. was a public school. And then the third one was a school of the arts. So and these speaking are in of Utah? my background. No, sorry. This is before we moved. So this gotcha. is why I... This is why I didn't want to move to Utah because I had already been to three elementary schools. And I was okay. like, why? You're like, yeah, no more changing. Yeah, yeah, like we're done. Like I'm not even 13 and I've been to like three different schools already. And right. I, the school of the arts, I loved. That felt like not even real school. It was like dance class, acting class, 
computer oh, wow. class. Yeah. And I was like, this is the best school I've ever been to. Like, it was just so much fun. How did you end up in that school? Why'd your parents like, that's amazing. <laughs> my So my friend played violin and she was really, really good, really talented. And we were best friends. And this school was like a big deal in our county. It was like the first like very upscale school of the arts. There were uniforms. They were bringing all these teachers in. So it was this big deal. And my friend was like, you should consider it and come. And we were just such good friends. And our parents were good friends. And I think we were just so young. They were like, yeah, who cares? Like send them off to the school of the arts. And uh, yeah, that's I went to that school and I had like the time of my life. And that's I, incredible. yeah, I think thinking back now that that speaks to like things that don't feel like school right. that were just artistic and creative have always like that's always been a very big magnet for me so yeah we moved to Utah after that uh literally in a Mormon neighborhood so everyone was Mormon (laughs) everyone did the LSD religion or Latter-day Saints sorry LDS um yeah I got in a lot of trouble at school for what I wore because I'm coming from Florida with my beach you know beachy shorts and flip-flops and tank tops and they were like Oh, you're not supposed to share your shoulders. You're not supposed to anything. Right. Like you're supposed to. And how old were you? I was like 12 or 13. Wow. So yeah, I remember being like, this is interesting because again, <laughs> I just came from a school of the arts where you can be right. so expressive, all these characters and do what you want to like, you have to wear this type of clothing. You don't talk about this. You can't bring this up. And now talking about it out loud, I'm like, that was kind of my first interaction with like, control over my voice was like no you don't get to like act like that or be like that I very vividly remember going to a a session at the church with my friends because that's who all my friends were except my neighbor which was really funny and um yeah we went to a session and I was like absolutely not like this is not <laughs> was not it like a session, like oh let's see if maybe you want to become Mormon yes like, oh wow Okay. Literally, and they're constantly like, come back. We have a group study. We're going to do this next week. We're going to camp on this. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, we're not they, doing that. Yeah. From what I understand, they um, go to like school before school. Like, they have to go and like do like religious school before they go to school. Like, they get up early. And they're like, yeah, they're in it. A lot of rules, a lot of structure, a lot of like, no, yeah, like, you can't do this, can't marry this person, can't do that. I'm like oh my god this is I just felt really restricted and I just remember thank god my parents weren't like pushing me into anything and they're like you don't have to go like you can do whatever you want so I was like yeah I don't want to go anymore and then funny enough my direct next door neighbor literally the house next to us was like the only non-Mormon person in the whole entire neighborhood (laughs) and her parents and my parents got along so well to this day they go on vacation together that was literally like I'm thinking about this what 20 years ago it's insane so yeah that's crazy I know and it's kind of like going back to the thing of storytelling it's like they met based on stories and like how they connected with each other so yeah I went to um I went to Utah for a year my dad's project ended and then I went to middle school back in the same exact town and then I went to high school in the same exact town and then I went to Florida State University and then that's when I kicked off my college career cool all right and so um let's go into like where who are you now like what kind of motivates you what's what are you passionate about where are you today so today as many of you know I am a podcast host and a podcast coach and I feel like I really focus on strategy and storytelling and like the application of that and I feel like what drives me now is 
I'm just so curious about human nature and psychology like what motivates people what drives people what triggers people what activates people what makes people fall in love and I think Mm. that curiosity is actually why if you listen to my podcast 95% of my episodes are interviews and I don't think that's on accident I think that's just because I I'm so genuinely curious speaking of school this memory just came to me I remember being in fourth grade in a science class and I just kept asking my teacher why do we itch? And she's like, well, I don't know, there's, there's an irritation. And I was like, but why? Like, what causes that irritation? And she's like, because there's like skin there. I don't, like, she, I kept drilling her. I was like, but why? Like, why would there be skin? Why would the cells do that? Why? Like and she's like, worst nightmare. They're like, shut up. Like, I don't know the answer. Literally, she's like, okay, like, let's go. Let's we'll talk after class. And I was always that type of person, which also allowed me to excel in school a lot because I did actually want to understand the why behind things and why things happen. So yeah, I think now speaking of interviews, that's what's driven a lot of the podcasts. And my motivation is like, I just like talking to all these different people. I I truly think everyone has a story. That's why even now when I work with clients and they're like, I have nothing to say. I feel like my life is boring. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, that is just so not true. Like it's not true at all. Um, because I've just, everyone has a story. Like everyone has been through something. Everyone has triumphed over something. We've all been through a really hard time. So yeah, I think I'm really driven by that. I'm again, the human psychology thing lately, I've been fascinated with scammers and like how people (laughs) get away with this stuff. Like especially the Netflix boom, like the Tinder swindler and all these people. I'm just like, wow. Like how, but to me, it's not just the scamming. It's like, how did someone get someone to think that about them to make them take out a $40,000 loan in their name and they're not even married like that stuff it goes goes back to like story and that but but beyond that it goes back to connection and this whole thing of like people being that like we need connection that much and that drives people to do things that to some of us are like what the heck like exactly in what world yeah. And most of them will tell you at the end of the episodes, they're always like, I fell in love. I, I was in right. love. I was madly in love. I wasn't thinking. And I, I'm actually really interested in that too, because I have a really hard time letting go of relationships and like going through a breakup. And mm-hmm. I think that's because everything in our life is so, anything big is so ceremonial. Like you go, you have graduation, you actually have right. a whole ceremony you go to get in a cap and gown but this is for everything any level you move up even at your job you have a promotion there's a celebration they announce it like everything has this opening and closing that's very public weddings like everything but for some reason breakups no it's like oh sorry you you and this person are so intertwined and you learned everything you possibly could about each other and they probably know you better than your own family but poof you're done and just have to get back to normal life and i'm like that's just fascinating to me that we don't do allow any space for that to like process and grieve. Right. And like so again, no processing. and even with no. that person, because it's also like trying to like untangle where it's like, yes. okay, we're literally right here. How do we like get move away from each other in a way that actually feels like resolved as opposed to just being like ripping off a bandaid and being like, ow, like that's really sore. Like what, yeah. that feels really open and like what happened? Right. And it's always, it's never just the person. It's like, you're grieving a a family that you could have had. You're grieving an environment. You're grieving a home. You're grieving a friend group. Like there's 20 different things that you're grieving. And I think that's something that 
I'm just really fascinated again by like psychology and emotions and feelings and like, why do we do the things we do? And I think that's been a, a big motivational factor for me, even starting a podcast and then keeping it going. Right. Well, speaking of starting a podcast, you started your podcast in November of 2017. And it's very clear that you're a curious person because you interviewed your chiropractor and your massage therapist. So can you just give us a little insight? What was the thinking? Why did you start a podcast? Why them? (laughs) Why them, right? Usually everyone's like about me. Let me interview my parents, like anything else except their chiropractor. Um, Yeah, I remember at that point, I mean, I guess to rewind, like why I even started a podcast. Yeah. So in my undergrad at FSU, I basically partied for two years and did absolutely nothing but get (laughs) hammered. And then I was like, okay, I probably should take this seriously. Let me do something else and like get serious about these last two years. And I remember there was this hosting and reporting class that you had to get, you had to apply for, like you couldn't just take it as an elective and you had to get referred into. And there was a girl in my sorority that had gotten into it. And she was like really, really good at what she did. So I was like, Crystal, can you hook me up? Like, I want to take this class because I, yeah, I was like, I really wanted to be a sports reporter because I think I was, I actually really loved sports in college. I mean, FSU was a really big sports school. And so this is like the heyday too of like Aaron Andrews and Samantha Ponder and like all these female sports reporters, like just dominating the industry. And I was like, I want to do that. So that's what I was pursuing my last two years of college. Now fast forward in college, I get these internships at news stations and everyone's warning me as if I'm about to step into like the depths of hell. They're like, this really is like, not, not it. Like you're not going to make so much money. It takes a lot to get to the top. You're not going to have a family when you want. If you do have one, you're not going to be able to support them because this, this industry pays you no money. And I'm like, wow, what is going on? (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh my God. And so many people, even our reporting teacher was like, this industry is cutthroat because we would, we would actually have to go. Sh- I got into the class, by the way. We actually had to go right. make uh, stories. We had to go interview the school's athletes, put together a story, a mm-hmm. script, a package, and then we had to premiere our videos in front of everybody. And then everyone had to give you feedback. <laughs> so Ooh. it was like, oh, yeah, you learn how to take feedback really young when you take that class. So yeah. I remember the. Um, the guy that led that class was just like giving some harsh feedback. And I was like, damn, this guy is so like direct. And he's like, get ready. This is like one tenth of what you're going to deal with. I'm preparing you for what's happening. Like, it's not, it's not what you think it is. Not like fun lights, glamor action. He's like, (laughs) you're in the streets reporting on like a local JV basketball team. And then like a cat parade at the mall. Like you're literally, He was just like, you're going to have to do really shitty stories until you crack the big ones and then you get moved up and da da da. I had, I heard the same morning from my um, PR agency director. He, he was an internship I had and he did sports reporting for like 10 years. And he was also giving me these warnings. He's like, this is why I started this agency because like the reporting wow. thing is just too much for me and my family. And I was like, damn, okay. I'm, I don't know how many more warnings I need to get to like take the, right. this is not the path for me. So it was actually really sad because I just put so much work into it and I was doing internships and I had a whole portfolio and reel ready to go. Um, and I, re- I just remember being like, well, what the hell am I going to do? Like, that was the plan. So when I graduated, mm. I actually worked at an Italian restaurant for the summer because I was like, I didn't have a plan. Like, that was the plan was like, try to go right. work at ESPN yeah. or something. So then 
I was very adamant about not getting my master's. I was like, I'm not paying all this money for absolutely nothing. I can get a job anywhere. Like I have a good education. Why would I get a master's? And then I don't even know how this popped up, but um, there was a school of digital media and storytelling, excuse me, digital media and communication at Loyola Chicago. And they just rolled out this master's program called Masters in Digital Media and Storytelling. And oh, I was wow, like, so brand new. whoa, yeah. I was like, this is amazing. And I'm looking into it. It's like, we're going to teach you how to shoot photography and video and make websites and make podcasts and all these things. And I'm like, this sounds exactly like that school of the arts I went to when in seventh grade, just wow. at the master's level. That's like so full, full circle. So full circle. I was like, uh, I was like, this is too good to be true. Like, is this a scam? Yeah. Like, is this school? I'm like, okay, well, it was a very well-established school, but I was like, is this like program a scam? Like I could not figure it out. And they were just so excited because they were bringing all this talent in to lead the classes. They're going to have guest speakers. So yeah, I applied, I got in. It was the funnest two years of my life. Again, it felt, I loved going to school. Like I was, because it was all the projects were storytelling. It was like, we're going to assign you this. Now you got to go tell a story in video. Now you're going to tell a story through photos, photography, whatever. So that all being said, at one point, I remember we did have to do a podcast and thinking about this at the time, I didn't have the context of serial or anything to compare it to. So we were just listening to the examples they gave in the class and they wanted us to create a podcast like serial. So they were like, we need you to come up with a concept and get like different audio and stuff. So I did mine on a nail salon. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember I was trying to get the, the audio of them, like cutting the nails and like filing and I thought it was cool. I was like, I'm getting like behind the scenes, you know, like you always divulge your secrets, like your hairdresser. And I was like, right. I want to know it's kind of like the same thing at the nail salon. So I was like, I want to get like behind the scenes of the chair. And apparently my teacher did not like that. And she was just like, no, like that was not well put that together or something. Like, Damn, I really thought I nailed that. So basically I had just been trying all these things. Like I absolutely hated cutting video the video mm-hmm. class, I hated it so much. Every time we had to do videos, I was like crying. Um, oh, no. The website stuff just didn't appeal to me. Like nothing was not appealing except the parts where I could write stories or speak them uh-huh. out loud. So that just caught my attention. And then I remember at my sc- school's, what was it? Like an internship fair or something like that. Job fair. That was, that's what it was. Yeah. This company came into my life and weirdest thing talking about where I'm from I meet these two people and they're like, oh, we're from this, we're from Florida. I'm like, me too. I don't meet anyone from Chicago and Florida. <laughs> and they're like, well, we're, from, well, you wouldn't know where we're from. We're from central Florida. I'm like, no, I'm from central Florida. And then they're like, well, like, where did you go to college? And I'm like, well, I went to FSU. They're like we went to UCF, which is like a competing one. And I'm like, where did you guys go to high school? And the guy I was talking to went to a rival high school in my county. I'm like, this is insane. Like, I'm at a job fair in Chicago, and I'm meeting people that are from my town. Like, I couldn't even believe it. So it was um, an influencer and content marketing company. And they just basically did, I was doing sales for them. Now, Mm -hmm. the reason I bring this up is because, remember, I'm in a school right now where I'm producing content, creating content, being the creator of all these different stories. Then right. I switched to this weird side of the business that I didn't even know was a business. At this point, it was influencer marketing. This is like 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. And now I'm selling these people. So now it's my job to look at all these people's websites, stories. Do they match the brands, right. concepts? Can we pair them together? This is just my job was looking at their content all day long. How do they write? How do they take photos? How do they take videos? 
their quality of content. Like this was every day in and out. I, it was fun for a while and I was good at it because of my background in this school. Like it, I very much right. excelled at, at both. They helped feed each other. But then I was like, why am I not doing this on the other side? Like mm-hmm. I went to school for this. I should be a content creator getting paid to create content. Right. So th- then I tried all these different things. I tried, um, I tried a blog. I, I did one post <laughs> and I literally gave up after one uh, post. One post. I remember trying to like upload pictures and I did a photo shoot with my friend in Chicago. It's actually so embarrassing. I was like in the snow with like, like my hoodie on, like looking like trying to look like Bella Hadid under the hood. I was like, this is so embarrassing. So <laughs> yeah, we tried to upload photos and then the hyperlinking and I'm like, this is just too much work. And I was, by the way, I was working full time at the same time I was going to school. So wow. I had like no free time to keep up a creative hobby. Right. Then I tried, I th- I think I tried my hand at like websites or something. And we did a project in class. I was like, absolutely hate this. And then I tried a beauty Instagram. And then my friends made fun of me. And they're like, we don't get it. Like, so you're just sharing tips about beauty and like, what the hell? Like, why would you do that? <laughs> and then fast forward, I'm like, these beauty Instagrammers are like laughing all the way to the bank. Like I should have right. stuck with that. And then I found podcasting and that was the serial podcast. And that's when that lightning bolt hit you of like, oh my God, all these things are coming together. My background is coming together. I listen to this podcast. I wanted to be a reporter. So this is like the same exact thing, just without the lights and camera in action. Like you're just doing it differently in a format. So I remember being like, I could start a podcast. And then at that point, I was really obsessed with health and wellness. And I just remember my chiropractor, I would ask her questions in my normal sessions. I'd be like, Which what is, is a knot? Yeah. Like, I was like, what is a knot? Why, like, why do I even need to get my back crack? Like, why is this important? And so when I had this idea for a podcast, I was just like, you know what? Chiropractor, like that, that field is interesting right now. Let me in- right. interview her. And yeah, use that curiosity to fuel that interview. And then from there, I think my first like eight episodes are all health and wellness people in Chicago, because that was very much what I was interested at the time. So yeah, very long winded winding road of how I got to start a podcast. I love that. You should have asked your chiropractor why we get an itch. I know. I was like, I need the answers. (laughs) Literally 20 years later, give me an answer. It's amazing. And it's also like really cool, just all the synchronicities and kind of how there's all these little cues and all these things that kind of led to where you are now. And it makes a lot of sense. One of the things I, this is kind of more a tip for people. It's clear just hearing your background that you've had a lot of opportunity and like exposure and getting used to just being seen. And so it was probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe a little easier to just put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you say or like, what's kind of a tip for people who are wanting to have a podcast, want to get into podcasting, but they're just like, they don't know how to get over that fear of being seen, even though maybe you aren't seen because it's just a podcast, but you right. Get yeah. Fear of being like heard. <laughs> yeah. Being out in like, yeah, just your, your thoughts and your idea and everything, just being out there for people to kind of have an opinion consume. about, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. One of my mentors too, she calls it trying in public. And I'm like, that's what it is. You're just trying things in, in public. <laughs> Literally experimenting in public. <laughs> ah. Literally. Um, I would say the first thing, like if I didn't have all this exposure and I were talking to someone that also didn't have this background is try to create something for yourself that you don't plan on releasing to the world, just to Mm. be in the habit of creating something for yourself. My blog, when I started it, I didn't even know that you could like monetize blogs. I was like, this is just a fun way for me to document living in Chicago. This is the same way that 
podcasting started. As you can see, I had no intent of ever turning it into anything big. It was just like, this is a creative outlet for me to talk about, to talk to interesting people. And I didn't have a big strategy of like, how am I going to get more listeners and blow this thing up and monetize and get brands? And I think that helped take the pressure off because I was like, I'm not reporting to a brand. I'm not reporting to clients. I'm not reporting to Mm. anybody. Like Mm. I have my own, this is my thing. Like I get to do whatever I want with it. And I hear this advice for writers too, is like, write a first draft with the intention of no one seeing it. I think it's kind of the same for podcasting. Like maybe record a few episodes with friends and family with the intention of never releasing it to the world, just so you can feel, get into the identity of being a podcaster, feel into what it's like to prepare and plug in your microphone and your headphones and get ready for an interview. Like the same way a novelist starts writing a draft with characters or protagonists and da da da. It's you're doing the same exact practice, but in a different format. So that's what I would say. Another practical tip is do a test track. Like I do this sometimes where I'm like, let me just get my thoughts out and brain dump in a test track and then Mm -hmm. organize them. Because I think what, I think where a lot of the fear of being seen or heard comes from is that like, I'm going to sound stupid. I'm going to sound like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not an expert. By the way, that's why I named my podcast (laughs) my non-expert opinion. (laughs) That Like, I was so scared. I was like, people are going to think that I'm trying to be an expert because I was relating podcasts to like Hollywood level studio productions. I was like, I don't want people to perceive me that way. So let me name it something cheeky. That's like, I'm not an expert, but -hmm. I have a lot of opinions. And it's a play on words of like, in my expert opinion, in my non-expert opinion. So like, yeah, I'm like, that's something that I actually suggest clients to do too, is like, be on the nose with your podcast. Like, it's okay to name your podcast, what am I talking about? You know what I mean? Like, or finding like some way to kind of disarm yourself. And so exactly basically getting, not necessarily getting ahead of it, but like, oh my gosh, I am not the best speller. I'm certainly not a good speller in front of people. And when I was doing workshops in prison, it's like, you're in front of like, I don't know, 30 people. I mostly went to prisons with men. So I'm in front of this group of like 30 men sitting there and I'm like forgetting how to spell story. And the funny thing is like people, I would notice people would be like, you spelled that wrong. <laughs> like, really? Like in front of everyone? Like, really? You you call me just... out? Like, okay. And so then I was like, okay, I know I figured out how to handle it. Where then before I would go to get up to spell, I would just tell people, hey, I'm not great at spelling. So like, just so you all know, but you don't need to help me. Like I'll figure it out. And you know, what's funny about what you said is action probably bred that confidence like you probably got better at it by doing it you didn't get better at it by sitting at home in your room thinking how am I going to be better at the next workshop how am I going to be better you had to keep doing the workshops it's the same with anything and I learned this this year from taking a novel writing class I was like if you want to be a writer you have to write like Mm -hmm. it's not going to just come to you like an ocean wave and you're going to channel it out (laughs) in one or two days like you have to we all wish I think we all have this amazing imagination that like one day we're just going to channel a book in two days that could Mm -hmm. happen I've heard people do that but the more practical way is like you just break it down every day you commit to an hour of writing you do it it's the same with podcasting if you want to be a podcaster you just start doing it and eventually you will get more comfortable and again try it without the intention of making it big and it takes some of the pressure off I love that. I think that's a really great way as well. Like what you said, like plugging in your microphone, pressing record, speaking in front of it and taking away that pressure of 
the very first episode of your podcast is going to be recorded. Like that's not a first, like you don't turn in your first draft. And so the expectation that the very first episode you're going to record is something that you want to put out there is like, maybe not even the best idea either. So I think that's wonderful advice for people. And by the way, I always tell people that get nervous about their first episode. I'm like, I literally give them the homework to go find their favorite podcast and go back to their very first episode. It's usually trash. Or if it's not trash, it's backed by a massive studio or production company. So it had like millions of dollars. And you can hear at the end, they'll be like, thanks to our executive producer, our producer, our, our." I'm like, they have 20 people working on the podcast. Like go listen to a solo podcaster or like an influencer episode one, you will be like, okay, I get it. It's not that big of a deal. Totally. So this November, your podcast just had its fifth birthday. Congratulations. Thank you. Very exciting. And so that's a lot of longevity and commitment. That's longer than any romantic relationship I've been in. Same. Uh, (laughs) And so I'm just kind of, I'm sure everyone wants to know, like, how, why have you stuck with it? How do you keep going? Like, what, how have you done that? I would say the first year was pure curiosity. Like I said, it was so fun for me to interview people. And the fact that people didn't charge me and I didn't have to pay anybody and I could literally find the most fascinating person in Chicago and be like do you want to sit down for an interview like sure I'm like wait what (laughs) this is crazy and so I would invite all these people I worked at a WeWork and I would invite them at lunch to come into a conference room and they thought this was my full-time thing because it looked like it and um I was like no I wish like on my lunch breaks we have to have we have to make this quick actually Yeah, I was like, I gotta go. We're on the clock here. Um, So yeah, I just remember that alone was fascinating to me that I'm like, I am connected to all these different people. And by the way, when you have a guest, anyone that starts a podcast, you'll see this happen. They'll start recommending people like, Mm. we need to interview my cousin or like my sister is so amazing at this one thing. So then I started getting introduced to all these topics I didn't even know about. So from again, going back to that, that, um, yeah, that psychology and curiosity thing, I was learning about like, Feng Shui and tarot cards and ice baths and all these things that I was like, well, I don't know about any of this stuff. I grew up again in a very small town, very middle class, very like run of the. You get married, you have kids, you mm-hmm. buy. You know, you don't do any of these like funky wellness things, alternative <laughs> wellness. Like we didn't do any of that. So I was like, this is fascinating. So the first year was definitely like curiosity. Mm-hmm. Then I started shooting my shot by like trying to interview quote-unquote bigger people like influencers um other like podcast hosts that had more established podcasts and again people were saying yes I'm like wait mm-hmm. what? Like, what is they're gonna charge me a fee or like something's gonna happen I remember this guy he has a huge podcast now he's on Betches Media Jared Freed he he had a show in Chicago and he met up with me at the WeWork like he came to the wow WeWork. that's amazing and I was like this is insane like I'm not paying him I, I don't even have that at this point I didn't even have like a big podcast or anything I was just like hey I'd love to interview for my show I think you're like hilarious he's like let's do it so then I was like whoa this is really cool that I could be interviewing my favorite like authors or mentors or comedians yeah, you're getting and, ideas momentum yeah now I'm like whoa 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 this is like a way to con- going back to connection this is yep. a way to with people through storytelling so that really drove me too but then as life happens like I was putting a lot of money into this from my corporate job and I never intended to make it anything other than a creative project Mm -hmm. however because it was just a creative project there wasn't any 
obligation to keep it going or not going. So I was like, I could stop this whenever I want. I can take a break whenever I want. So I actually took a break, honestly, probably for like six months. If you look at the published dates between like 2017 to 2019, there's a lot of weird gaps and spaces of publishing. <laughs> and that's because I was like, I don't have the time to do this. Like work was getting busy. I had moved up in my career. I was a manager. And then I was just in Chicago and it was fun and I was socializing. And I'm like, I don't want to do a podcast. I want to go to happy hour on Friday. Like I'm not going to edit a podcast. And um, yeah, I think I just got a little burnt out. You know, we talk about this on some of our podcasts and we listen to things about systems and planning. I had none of that. So um, I think what got me back into it was that I just missed talking to people. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I stopped doing it for six months and I felt a little down. And I'm like, why do I feel in this funk? And I'm like, because I don't have a creative outlet. And if you heard my past and the story and everything, like I need a way to channel my creativity somehow. I've always been like that. Even in the sorority, they gave me a job that was painting the sidewalk and the walls. Like oh my gosh. a weird job. They were like, we need, there's this big thing in Florida State where you like paint the wall with your letters and all these things. That was my job. So like, I've always needed a creative outlet. So I realized when I stopped this podcast and all I was doing was like working and socializing, I didn't have that anymore. And it started to feel really bad. I was like, you had so much fun doing that. Like, why don't you get back into it? So I got back into it. And then I think. And I think another thing too with that, sorry to interrupt you. No, go ahead. I think, um, and it's certainly like when you're in your 20s, the way in which we socialize and our friendships, a lot of the times is they can be really kind of surface and we're not quite yet in the space of like getting to know each other and connecting on a deeper level. And so like, yes, you might spend time with these people and like you're out drinking and you're doing stuff and you're going to brunch, but like, they really don't know you. I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but when I think about a lot of the relationships in my twenties, like, yes, there's some standouts, but a lot of it feels very much kind of on the surface. And so maybe without even intending or without even knowing it's like the podcast was a place where you really got to connect with people. And so that it's like feeds that human need of like being connected and getting to know people. And so then take that away. And it's like, gosh, why am I feeling like this? Like, why am I feeling alone or whatever? Yeah, I, I agree. I think to your point, I had some incredible friends, but my job was sales too. So like even on weeknights, it was like going out to dinner with clients and you're just trying to schmooze them and negotiate and, it's a lot of like bullshit and back and forth. And I was just like, I hate this. So then on the weekend to numb out, it was like, woo, let's go get absolutely mm-hmm. fucked up like on the weekend mm-hmm. and go to brunch and, you know, Blackhawks game and all these different things. Yeah. And then by the way, all that drinking and all that stress and all that surface level conversation doesn't really revitalize you. It only pulled my energy down. And to your point, talking to someone for an hour, you can get really deep. And I was doing that on a weekly basis with strangers. So it was like, wow, I do miss that. And I think, um, again, that's why I love interviews. And I think to your point, that's probably something I was missing was those deeper connections. What are kind of some of, what are the other things that you love about it? What's been some of the best parts? I have developed a sense of confidence that I think I never had before. Going back quickly to my college years, I was in a sorority. And if you know Southern states and sororities, I don't. brutal, <laughs> cutthroat, cutthroat. It's all about how hot you are, how skinny you are, how in shape you are, how smart you are. It's a popularity contest on steroids. There was actually a website called like collegeacb.com or something that was basically like a slam book anonymously online. It was like the Reddit but just to talk shit about people. 
And it was constantly tearing people down. I mean, saying the nastiest things. We had girls quitting the school. People were on like suicide watch. It was really ugly. And that, that like mindset of like, you have to be perfect all the time. You have to look your hottest. You always appeal to the male gaze. We're trying to hang out with the top fraternities. We're trying to be in with the most popular guys. We're trying to be connected with them for homecoming. It's all this like political bullshit that goes on with sororities. And so I think because of that, it actually really uh, scraped at my self-esteem because I wasn't mm-hmm. the skinniest one. I wasn't the most popular girl. Like I, I had a personality, obviously, and I was really funny, right. but I feel like that was my, like, she's the funny one. You know what I mean? I never felt like, oh mm-hmm. my God, she's the most confident one, or she's the most gorgeous one, or she's the most outgoing. It was just like, yeah, she's so funny. And like, she's fun to be around. And I think that because so much of our worth in college was based on like looks and who you hung out with it it just felt like when I left college I lost a lot of the self-esteem that I had had in high school like I feel like I had really good self-esteem it chips away at you and it's like you don't even realize it and the ways in which we kind of conform we dim our light we figure out ways to kind of fit in and whatever that however that looks and so Mm -hmm. not realizing like the impact that that has and kind of how it stains you and stays with you as well. It was in, insane to realize years later because while you're in it, it's so fun. You're like, oh my God, we have costume <laughs> parties every week and we get to dress up. And we're, we, yeah, we think it's about, we're like, oh my God, like getting ready in the girls' room and going out. And then I remember when I got to the other side of it of how we recruit, it's basically just on looks. So I was like, mm-hmm. wait, that's how I got recruited? Like, I thought I got recruited because of my like background. I got a 4.0 GPA and they're like, no, it's just because you're cute. And I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> oh okay so that like to your point it just really really took a a toll on my self-esteem and so when I left and I found that um when I graduated and I found that digital media school that's why it was so much fun for me because I was like oh my god I can talk about whatever I want I can do stories about whatever I want I can take pictures of whatever I want there's no you have to wear this on Saturday and you have to look this way and I was like this is insane so fast forward when I started it's my actually podcast really funny sorry to interrupt no. you again but it's funny because it's like you kind of had these two exact same trends and so you were at this art school it was amazing and then you got taken away and you were in Utah where it was like this is how you're gonna look this is what you're gonna do this is what you're gonna think yes. very much like you how you perceive the world and any sort of curiosity does not matter get rid of it this is what mm-hmm. we're doing And then for you to kind of have that same experience where it's like, you're in the sorority and it's like, this is what we sing. This is how we look. This is how we party. This is who we hang out with. Like very clear rules on like, very clear rules on like what's allowed, what isn't allowed, what's cute, what's not cute, what's cool and so on. And so it's so funny and maybe not, you know, not coincidental at all that you then found yourself in this school that was like, who are you? Who do you want to be? Like the complete opposite again, where it's like this question of like, whatever you want yeah whatever you want and I remember the class being so diverse we had like a Russian mom in the class a girl that was like way younger that had gotten in the program a guy that had worked at a radio school before or something and I'm like I've never been around this many creative artistic people that are all and that was the funniest thing too to your point of coming from a sorority where very strict social rules I mean we had a PR teams in our sorority of like telling us like (laughs) this is how you act. You can't say this. We don't wear mini skirts without like, it was just so insane. So then fast forward when I would, we would get the prompts for our, you know, stories in these classes. 
And I'd be like, I wonder what everyone's going to talk about. And they were so wild and different that I'm like, so fast, right? yeah, because these are their backgrounds and story. They all have different backgrounds where if you would have put me in a class with five of my sorority friends, we probably would have all had the same, <laughs> same story. story. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, oh, this is cool. So yeah, I feel like um, that school started to develop my sense of confidence. Sales helped me develop my sense of confidence. But really when I started the podcast, the thing about podcasting is you all of a sudden become the creative director and executive producer. So I really like put that hat on and I was like, I'm taking this fucking seriously. Like I am going to find an editor. I'm making the cover art. I'm setting up interviews with people. I actually went a little too hard. Like I got a microphone <laughs> that was way too advanced that I didn't know how to use. And one episode did not record at all. And it was like oh, with a bigger guest. So I was no. like, great. Yeah. And then Lucky I asked one. my, I asked my editor and he's like, you know, they use that recorder on like Hollywood film sets. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> Never mind. It's by the way, it's still really highly recommended one, but not for beginners. So yeah, I um I developed a sense of confidence. I think it really helped me learn also how to be a good listener and ask people questions. Like it helped me Definitely. make friends. I actually I didn't realize this until recently, where I have so many friends, and I'm like, I didn't realize that that's not a lot of people's reality. Like, I'm just so used to that. I've always had a big group of friends. Like, everywhere mm -hmm. I go, I can make a friend. I have friends. Like, I feel very comfortable traveling because I'm like, I, I know I'll make friends. Like, it's NBD. And my sisters aren't like that. I have people I've interviewed that are like, no, my friend circle is, like, very small. Like, I don't have mm -hmm. friends. And I'm like, why, like, wh why did I get this trait? Or, like, what happened with me? And I'm like, I think it is because of this whole interviewing and storytelling thing that I... I find it easy to connect with people or I find right. it easy to ask people questions. And I think that's something that I don't know that I would have developed without the podcast. It's definitely um, people don't want to let go of that opportunity. And so it's like when you find yourself in situations where you're connecting with people, it's, it's not common, you know, where that's the depth in which relationships go. And so, yeah, there's people who are going to be like, Ooh, I'm keeping this person around. Cause that was like very, that was a good feeling. So that probably speaks to some of it too. Yeah. Yeah. I love podcasting. I'm like, it's, I think also too, you, we talked about this a little bit, but the fact that you do get to interview people free of charge is still mind blowing <laughs> to me. I'm like, yeah. what? I can interview my favorite author and just have them on and literally ask them about their writing process right. and like how many drafts they had to do and why did, who, how much did, did they did negotiate on the book deal? Like you can ask it's all these like questions. The totally. It's a dream. I'm like, for a curious person who like loves understanding how people work, this is the perfect platform. Right. So going to switch it up here. Um, we need full transparency from you. So okay. what has been, we've been talking about a lot of the positives and things that are good. What mm. have been the hardest parts? Like what has been challenging about it? And maybe this is too strong a word or what, but like, are there any parts of it that you hate? Mm. Um, in the beginning, what was challenging was the, the fact that I was putting so much money into it and not making anything back because it never was intended to make any money back. But with all the editing costs and um, sometimes renting out the meeting space, I had to pay for it. Um, the microphone that I, I got that was like a Hollywood microphone, like all that <laughs> stuff. I just really like quickly realized, I'm like, I've spent a lot of money on this podcast. And there was a moment where I'm like, why like why are you spending this much money on something that's a creative hobby like if this is a hobby you should not it should not be creative anymore like this should be monetized and then I got a little scared I got panicked I'm like why the fuck have you spent this much money on your podcast so that was really challenging and again 
even when I had that thought, it was still never, oh, let me go get a brand sponsor or start podcast coaching. It was like, oh, well, like this is the deal. You either find a cheaper editor or you learn how to edit. And I think that's something I struggled with for a long time is like trying. It's like I knew the value of editing, but did not want to pay for it because it wasn't making me any money back. And so Mm -hmm. that was really difficult for me was like I value editors, but I don't like I don't have any income to replenish this every single week because I was doing a weekly podcast. That was so challenging. Also not having systems in place when I started. So I was doing everything last minute. There would be times where I'd be editing at like midnight. There would be times where where I'm like, I had no marketing plan either. So I was doing everything really like haphazardly and like, hopefully people see this. And yeah, that wasn't fun either. And then chaotic. chaotic. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And remember at one point I was working full-time going to school full-time. I literally worked nine to five and then went from school from like seven to 10 or something. That's so I'm like, where was I? Like, I don't even know where I fit the podcast in to be honest. I'm like, it shows you how much I loved it, but then I would come home and be editing. And it, that was really, really difficult. That was in the early years. I would say now what's difficult and it's kind of one of those upgraded problems. And we, me and you are both in holisticism <laughs> and we've heard about that where it's like, your problems just don't go away. They become upgraded is, right. is because so much of my podcast has been interviews and I like talking to so many people. I sometimes accidentally book myself way too far out with like a million interviews. And then I'll have like 15 interviews done. And I'm like, wait, that's like four months of content. But I want to also speak about my stories and do solo episodes. So now I can't like I can obviously do whatever I want. It's my episode, it's my podcast, but I respect people's time that they came on the show. So I want to air it. So then scheduling started to become a bit of a problem. And I'm like, this is really fucking challenging. Like I'm not good at planning far ahead. And now I have to air all these episodes, but I mm-hmm. want to share my story too. So that became really difficult. And I would say the last thing is like, after the, the 2020 cancel culture boom, yeah. I... I never was ever nervous about saying anything that would offend people because I'm not that type of person. I'm not like, oh, deal with it. Like, that's not not my problem. Like, that's not my personality. But I feel like I started to become a little bit more cautious being Mm -hmm. like, I want to make sure everyone feels heard and seen. And I feel Mm -hmm. like maybe at some point I became a little too people pleasery and like restrained my opinion a little bit because I was like, I don't want to come off too snarky or too bitchy or too opinionated, even though this podcast is literally called in my non-expert opinion. Mm-hmm. And that became difficult for me because for so long, it was so much fun to be like, I talk about whatever I want and say whatever I want. Again, not in a like, who cares about yeah, you? There's a difference way. between just being like, I'm going to just say whatever I want and I don't give a shit about what is the consequences of that versus like you know these are kind of my opinions and then being open to the fact that like oh that okay that could probably change and so I guess like just in general this might be a good place to add in another one of your tips do you have advice for people who are maybe scared of that and they're just like oh I really want to start a podcast like I don't want to get canceled and especially if it's attached to your business where they're like Mm. the fear of like I have this business it's doing really well and so it's just kind of scary to put myself out there like that. A hundred percent. The first thing I always say is look at anyone getting canceled. There's a big reason why it happens is because they're not open to feedback or accountability. So the reason they get canceled is because think about this, like let's use Rachel Hollis. If you would DM Rachel Hollis, you're like, Hey girl, didn't appreciate your most recent comment on your podcast was a little tone deaf. She's not going to see that or she's not going to respond to it. Or she's going to be like, 
oh, sorry, like whatever I said, what I said. Now imagine 20 people DM her and she's like, okay, maybe like that comment shouldn't have been said. Now she's like, who cares? I'm not acknowledging it. And now people are going to start commenting on her posts being like, hey, I've DM'd you. You're not answering. Your podcast is really offensive. This, that, the other thing. And then if she doesn't answer and she keeps deflecting and not taking responsibility, then people go after the wallets, which I don't think people get this concept of canceling. It's like you have to hit them where it hurts so they they understand the consequences of acting that way. So if you look at people that get canceled, it's usually celebrities. It's usually like big influencers and coaches that don't take accountability. It's not the indie micro creators starting a podcast to help people. It's these people that have massive like egos and personalities that they think they're untouchable and then people have to get their attention by reaching out to them publicly or brand sponsors you know emailing them whatever so that's the first thing I'm like let's look at the reality like statistically I don't think they could even happen to you because cancellation happens to people of really really high exposure and caliber and fame and money they they get canceled because again of their stature But I think you make a really good point just to like reiterate where the whole concept of like, it's not the fact of what they said so much as the issue is the fact that they're unwilling to take accountability. And that's kind of the difference. And that goes to what you just said at first when we first kind of opened up is when people double down, it's like if you've said something and multiple people have told you that it's problematic and you're like, I don't give a fuck, excuse my French, like that's my opinion then that's where it becomes problematic. Not actually the fact that you said it, the fact that you're unwilling to change and grow from that or whatever, however it might look. Maybe you don't even grow from it, but just taking some accountability of the fact that like, oh, yeah, like some humility. That goes a long way. I actually did a podcast about that, of like how to not be afraid of getting canceled. I said, if I ever say something, please reach out to me, DM me. I always say my email in my podcast, I have a contact page. I I'm very open to feedback because feedback is only going to help me grow. I don't Mm -hmm. take feedback as a personal attack. So I think that's something if you're scared of this happening to you, there could be a something within you that is not ready for feedback and like having that type of conversation with people because you're so used to people pleasing and you need Mm -hmm. to explore like why, where in you and why are you not open to feedback? And then I think the second thing is just remember feedback is meant to help you improve not to tear you down. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, if someone ever commented on and left a comment on a review, it was like, your podcast fucking sucks. I'm like, well, that's not feedback. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, that's just your opinion. Yeah, literally, I'm like, and I've never gotten that because this is the best thing about podcasting. No one hate listens to a podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> so point, true. Point blank, period. I never have listened to a podcast that I hate because it's just such a waste of my time. So, you know that people that are listening and investing week after week are genuinely wanting to hear you. So yeah, I think I have a lot of thoughts about this, but I, I'm trying to keep it succinct. So I'll stop there. So my first introduction to you in the world of podcast coaching was through Holisticism where we met. I attended your um, masterclass or workshop and it was how to launch a powerful podcast with strategy and soul. The thing to me that really stuck out, there's two things I want to point out that that were like really clear for me. Um, One, you are so passionate, not were, you are so, 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 so passionate about storytelling. We've talked about it before. We can talk about it more, but it was very clear. You were excited about helping other people tell their stories. 
The other thing that really stood out, which I was like, click, like it just was so good, especially because as we know, not the biggest social media person, you were saying that by doing a podcast, you give your business a voice. Like you have this ability to really put a voice behind the business. And that's like the amazing thing is like you take away the facts, whereas like someone might go and they're like, oh, these are the services you offer. Those are facts as opposed to like, this is the story. So can you kind of just quickly go into how did you come to be a podcast coach? Like, what is it that's exciting about that? Like, just give us a little bit of information on that. Yeah. So everyone that knew me and how I started my career, I was doing mindset coaching. And I did that for about over a year. And I remember feeling very burnt out because that wasn't ever something I went to school for. It's not something I trained for. It's not something that I got certified in. I was using my own life experience and my own tools that I had picked up along the way of living life to teach people. Now, I was good at it. I made a lot of money from it. I helped clients. There was not one bad review. Everyone had an excellent time working with me. However, I felt really depleted because I had so many people coming to me for different things because I didn't niche down. So I had someone wanting to work on anxiety, someone hated their job and wanted to quit, someone trying to work on relationship issues. And I'm like, okay, I'm not certified in... (laughs) 20 different things like all across the board. And it was a lot of emotional labor. Like I had back to back to back calls of this stuff that having to hold space for people. And I was just like, I don't know that this is sustainable for me or that this is even really ethical or like great of me to be doing this in integrity. Like I think these people need real therapy or like more advanced mindset coaching with people that have been doing this for a long time. So I remember being like, well, what other skill set do I have? And then it just was kind of like, well, you've been in the content creation world. You've been podcasting. You know how to start a podcast. Like maybe you could do this thing. So I threw up an Instagram story. I asked, would anyone be interested in learning how to launch a podcast with me? Immediately four people responded and wanted to do one-on-one coaching. And I was like, oh, (laughs) wow. Like, I was like, I don't even have a package (laughs) made up. So I literally voxered my coach. I was like, help, I need to come up with a package for podcast coaching. So then we came up with one. And then, yeah, those first few clients that trusted me, that's when I started to refine my process and tweak it and figure it out. And eventually I was like, oh, this is is my zone of genius. Like, I know what I'm doing. I know how to help them. I know how to break things down into practical steps. So I, this actually can be a real thing. And after every client, I realized I could make this a course. So then I made a course called Mic Drop, which maybe some of you have taken. And then I realized I can help people at a different level. Like now I can teach people how to interview and pitch guests and brands. Because again, my whole background was that influencer content marketing. That was all advertising and marketing. So I realized there's all these skill sets that I picked up in the last 10 plus years of doing this. And now that's what I'm focused on is just to your point, making people better storytellers and developing a really solid set of skills that your podcast is fun and sustainable. And so within that, do you have, I know we've kind of talked about this. You've said that kind of one of your edges is that you give people strategy. And so can you kind of tell us some more about that? Why, how does that make you kind of stand out and what's the value in that? So from my own experience, I would always invest in coaches and expect certain strategies to be there of like, oh, I had a six-figure launch. Here's all the strategies I took to get there. Here's the steps to take. Here's the framework. I feel like I got that 50% of the time. So I was like, if I'm going to teach people how to podcast, this can't just be Q&A sessions and people <laughs> like being like, oh, we're going to learn the energy of podcasting. Like 
this needs to be practical application of like, here is literally step one. Here is step two, step three. I also just know from school and like learning styles that I needed to break things down very, very specifically in baby steps. And so I realized any client I work with or any course that I create needs to be the most practical, simple, easy way to get something done. And then um, strategy is really important because as I told you in that that class that I took in college, everyone has different stories. Everyone always has, everyone also has different ways of expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. Some people don't like interviews. They just want to talk and release their thoughts and kind of brain dump for an hour. Some people don't want to talk for an hour. They want to mm-hmm. do 10 minute updates about the news. Some people don't want to even do 10 minutes. They want to do one minute astrology updates. So I'm like, I cannot teach everybody this cookie cutter strategy because all these people have different ways you wouldn't work and by the way different schedules i'm like some people i've worked with are moms with two kids and a toddler at home some people are full-time remote workers some people have partners like they can't just be podcasting all the time so i'm like we have to make this fit into their schedule Mm -hmm. and that's something i learned from now doing this for a year and a half is like Everything needs to have a strategy behind it, because if not, if you're just going out there and doing it, it causes that whole throw the spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks thing. And by the way, podcasting is a a big investment in terms of like your time and energy. Mm. It takes a while to prep and record and edit and produce. So if you're going into it with no strategy, you're immediately going to hate it unless you were like me and we're just straight up driven by curiosity. Eventually, you will burn out like I did because you're like, what's the strategy here? Like, I'm just spending money on editing and where am I going what's the point it's like it's literally like I'm going on a road trip and then having no idea where you're going and you're like hopefully I don't end up jumping off a cliff (laughs) because I don't know where I'm going I'm like that's how I feel about strategy so I think sometimes people get confused thinking strategy is like really harsh structure like you have to record this on episode one you have to do this on episode two and I think that's something that surprises people when they work with me is they're like oh, I have more like flexibility and like creative freedom. It's just, there is strategy in like how you title things and the way you speak about them and how you're zooming out and bringing the story in. That's what I'm here to help you do, especially if you're a business owner. How can we keep the fun storytelling and your perspective in it, but also help you convert listeners into clients without being like a boring soapbox person every week? I love that. And again, no coincidence, but it very much fits kind of so much of what you've told us today where, yes, there's a lot of benefit and it's good to have the structure, but you want to give clients the ability to be like, what is it for you? What do you want to do? And so, but I think as well, and we've talked about this with systems, you've talked about it a lot in different episodes. In order to have that freedom, you do need some sort of thing in place, just something to kind of like basically fall up against and stuff. So you're not falling completely off the cliff or however. Right. It's like, like literally, this is a visual that just randomly came to me. Think of a bounce house. A bounce house, you get to do whatever you want. You can do backflips in there. You can jump. You can do belly flops. But you still have the nets around so you don't fall out. That's kind of what I am. I'm like, I'm like the net. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you like what I think you should do to keep it safe. And like, but you can bounce around and do whatever the hell you want in there. I'm here to give you feedback in that structure. Right. So I'm looking at the time. I'm realizing we don't have much of it left. I'm sure we could talk for a whole nother hour. Maybe we'll do a part two if people are lucky. Um, But I wanted to just kind of end asking you a question. 
And so I think it's kind of the irony of the fact that your podcast now is still called In My Non-Expert Opinion is you are very, very well informed in the world of audio. I know this because I follow you. You're constantly giving information. You're aware of companies that are getting like IPOs and who's getting money invested in them. And so it's really cool because you have your finger on the pulse. So with that, I'm curious, what are kind of some of your predictions or do you have any? Where is the future of audio? Uh, The future of audio is definitely only growing. To your point about investments, it's something I like to follow because it just shows you where consumer trends are going. Descript, Mm -hmm. which is an editing software, just got a $50 million investment. Zencaster got, I think, like an $8 million one. That's the software we're using right now. This is not Trump change, right? These are investors saying these people have presented very strong cases for audio editing. So we are going to put our backing into them. So I think audio is only going to get bigger. And I think what we're going to see is more streaming stuff. Like we've already seen this pivot to video where Spotify now plays videos. I think Apple will roll that out soon. I think we're going to see more apps roll out. I think we're going to see more exclusive content like paywalled content, because Mm -hmm. I think what people don't realize is brand partnerships. If you're a micro creator, don't pay out that well. And there are a lot of time and effort and energy. So I think we're going to see a big push to paywalled content, which, by the way, we kind of have seen with Patreon and Substack. I think that's only going to get bigger. Um, and I think something that that I think social media platforms are going to do is build an audio arm. So we've seen Instagram try to turn into everything under the sun. I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if Instagram tries out like conferencing software next to like compete with Zoom because they are literally trying to be everyone. I have a feeling Instagram or TikTok or one of these is going to roll out an audio branch that's like Instapods or like TikPod, like TikTok pods or like something where they start to bring on audio creators or create like an audio room, like Clubhouse refined. I think we're Mm going to try to see that happen because Clubhouse did have their like heyday for a second. And I think for whatever reason, there were a lot of things that didn't work there, but I don't think that was like the last that we're going to see of a platform Mm -hmm. like that. I think audio people really value it. That's why listenership is so high and it only gets bigger. So yeah, I think um, I'm interested to see if social media platforms develop an audio branch of their their divisions. Yeah, that's a great point. It's kind of like Vine was the original TikTok. Went away, didn't really see anything like it for a minute. And then TikTok was just like, I'm here to stay, at least for yeah, now. Anyway. And now literally everyone's <laughs> obsessed. And I always think that. I'm like, didn't we already have this? And it was like, <laughs> we really oh. did. <laughs> And I remember being like, why are people lip syncing? Like, this is so weird. I'm like, that's that's all it is now. It's like lip syncing everywhere. I'm like, oh my God, it really like was here to stay. So yeah, I think we'll see Clubhouse 2.0 or um, Instapods or something roll out soon. Right. And then last question, if you don't mind sharing, um, is there, what's the vision for Chelsea? What's the future for you? Where are you going? Oh my gosh. I have so many ideas, but A big one that I have is creating an educational platform for podcasters. So, you know, I'm obsessed with storytelling. I'm obsessed with interviewing. I'm obsessed with just creating really great content. And I want to teach people those skills because they are skills. They're not something you're born with or without. And I want to make that very clear. They are things that you can refine and work on. And so I want to teach people in a more classroom style setting how to refine these skill sets. So that's on the horizon. I would love to start consulting businesses like Fortune 500 companies on starting podcasts. And I really would also love to teach networks. Like I would love to go into networks and speak to their podcasters about interviewing and storytelling too, doing like workshops and Mm. um, those types of like very 
niche skill set focused master classes, but for podcast networks. So that's the big vision stuff in the few in the next few years. Cool. Well, we'll check back in in a few years and see where we are. All right. Well, thank you so much for giving me the honor to have this conversation. I hope you had as much fun as I did. And I think people are really going to love getting to know you better. Oh, thank you. You're an incredible host. I'm so glad we got to do this because you've been on my podcast several times. So it was an honor to have you be the host. Definitely. Thank you.